Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. I can't put those things here. Turn to the book of Genesis. We are starting a new series here today that we're calling Work Life. And we're going to really delve into this, this topic of work, your jobs, your career. And my motivation behind this is that I just think a lot of times this kind of goes unsaid. We don't talk about this, this really in-depth, this aspect of, of our lives, which is just enormous. Now, do any of you remember the famous song that the seven dwarfs would sing uh, in that great Disney movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Hi-ho, hi-ho. You, you remember that song? Come on, sing it with me. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's... Now, isn't that interesting? You know, you know the whistle part. But you got the words wrong. The words are not hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. The words are hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Right? This blew your mind just a little bit. Isn't that interesting, though? It's interesting that so many of us mistakenly believe that this song is about going it's about going to work when actually it's a song about going home from work after a satisfying day of labor. We'll talk about that in a little bit here, but I think in, in very similarly, just as we kind of similarly um, get those words wrong to a song like this, I think so many of us must understand what God has to say about work. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into that just a little bit. And so today, I want to start with kind of breaking down your typical 24-hour day, so, so you can kind of see it in a picture form. First, the average person sleeps about eight hours a night. The average person, right? I hear the lucky you. Obviously, this doesn't include those of you who are in college. It doesn't include those of you who are, have kids, uh, infants, or all these people that we pray for. We understand you, you don't get eight hours of sleep. That might happen in a few more years. But this is, the, this is just the average. The average is that we get eight hours of sleep. Second, the average American is at their job eight hours a day. And again, we're talking about averages here. Some of you work 14 to 16 hours a day. Those of you who are stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, you're working 24-7. It never leaves you, right? But this is just kind of the national average. And then you have to add to that the time it takes you to get to and from your job. And the average commute for those in the Austin area is 25.6 minutes one way. For us out here in the Spicewood area, it's 40.5 minutes one way, and that can go up a lot depending upon where you're going and traffic and time of day. The national average is 30 minutes a day, so we'll go with the national average. So one hour a day is, is used um, for commuting. And then you have the time you spend exercising. How many exercise? The national average is one hour, one hour per day. And then you have all your to-dos, and so that's your grocery shopping, your cooking, your cleaning, your, your washing, your mowing your grass, all your to-do lists, and the national average for this is two hours a day, which then leaves you with four hours left in your day, and we all know that you spend your last four hours a day watching TV or on your iPhone or your iPad doing some sort of social media or video games. That's usually how time is spent. Those last four hours are spent. 
And so let's call the combination of your job, your to-do list, your exercise, your commute, let's call all of that work. And by that definition, at least one half of every single day of your life is spent doing work. One half. Sociologists actually describe that over the length of your life, one third of your entire life will be spent doing work. And so work definitely takes the lion's share of our lives. Now, to some of you, work is a curse. You know what I mean? It's you hate your job. You can't stand it. You're dreading tomorrow and having to go back to work. And all day long when you're at work, you're looking down on your watch just trying to count the hours until you can get off work and go home. And so for some of you, work is a curse. For others of you, work is a god. In other words, work is where you look for meaning. It's where you find satisfaction in life. Work is where you get your identity. I'm a doctor. I'm a dentist. I'm a designer. I'm a teacher. I'm a contractor. We got our identity from our work. Work is where you get your self-worth. It's where you kind of validate your existence. Work is where you worship. In other words, it's where you make sacrifices. You sacrifice your time, your energy, You sacrifice your children, your health, your marriage. You sacrifice your friendships all for the worship of work. We may not use the word worship, but the essence of it is still worship. And so for so many of us, work is a curse or work is a God. But the Bible tells us a different story for how work is to be in our life. Look at this in Genesis chapter 1, right from the get-go. Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to notice this, that the first glimpse that we get of God is that he's working. He's creating. He's designing. He's engineering. He's, he's inventing. He's, he's sculpting the universe. And then look in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind, or human is the word, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. The word rule in the original Hebrew language that this was written in is the word radah, which means to rule, to reign, to have dominion over. It's king language. In other words, humans are the kings and queens of the world ruling and reigning over creation. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. I want you to notice this here. That the first thing God does with humans is that he blesses them. Right out of the gate, that's what he's going to do. He's gonna, he blesses. Why? Because this is who God is. He blesses. So many people, I think, have a wrong image of God. They see him as this angry God. Right? This is going to squash you or slap you upside the head if you make a mistake. But no, he's, he, just who he is is that he blesses. And that's what he does right out of the gate. And what's the blessing? Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The word subdue... In the original Hebrew language that this was written in is the word kibosh, which has this meaning to wrestle with it, to kind of wring a profit out of it. That's what he's describing here. And so do you see this picture that's being formed here? Kings and queens ruling and reigning over the earth, wrestling with it, wringing profit from it. This is the blessing that God put on humans. Now go to chapter 2, verse 15. 
It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now look at this, because the first picture that we get of human is that he's, he's stepping in to this blessing from God. This blessing, he's, so he's working, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's subduing, he's wrestling with creation to create a space for humans then to flourish. And I want you to notice two things about this. Number one, notice why humans were created. Look again, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind or human in our image, in our likeness, so that, everybody say, so that. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Do you see it? You see what's happening here? God made you to work. He created you to work. It's in your bones. It's in your DNA. It's central to your humanity. Fellas, all all you men, when you first meet a new guy, what's the first question you ask him? What do you do, right? But yet I think there's this kind of myth that kind of goes around the, the church culture that says who you are is what's important, not what you do. I mean, and obviously who you are is important. Character is absolutely important. But what you do matters as well because what you do for work is central to your role as an image bearer of God. That's why unemployment is just so gut-wrenching. That's why when people who, if you hate your job or you don't enjoy what you do, why you're just so miserable, even if you're bringing in a boatload of cash, you're just so miserable because you hate your job. It's why people who retire early are a lot of times really unhappy because when you stop working, you stop being fully the human God created you to be. You stop fully being awake, being alive because you were created. God created you in a way to work. The second thing I want you to notice is that the first blessing in the story is work. The cliche is that work is the curse. But listen, everybody, that's absolutely false. And not only is it absolutely false, work is actually the first blessing in the story. If you keep reading the Bible, you're going to see a whole list of blessings that God has for you. But the first, the very first blessing God gave humanity was Work, listen everybody, work is a blessing, not a curse. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I told you so. Come on. It's a blessing, not a curse. Now, now some of you, some of you are probably already starting to think though, you're starting to compare here, and you're starting to say, well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. I mean, you work at a church, you get paid to read the Bible and drink coffee all day long. And the only people you deal with are people who love Jesus. You're thinking, I have to work with people who curse and cuss out of every sentence that comes out of their mouth. I have to work outside in 150 degrees. I have to work with people who yell and are never satisfied and are always complaining, I hate my job. Come on, some of you are already thinking that, right? There's an interesting statistic about all of this. It says that 43% of Americans are unhappy with their jobs. 43%. Actually, one study I found said that 77% of Americans are unhappy with their jobs. And that number has just been going up every single year. And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. But for starters, one of the major reasons for this is what happens next in our story. Look at this in chapter 3 of Genesis. 
starting in verse 17. It says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so God curses the ground. The blessing is that God created humans to rule and to reign over creation, but the curse is now that the ground is hard. Now there's painful toil. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? I've never seen such hard ground as we have here in Texas. You want to plant a little shrub, a, a beautiful something you want to add, a little tree there, you cannot get through the hard ground, right? There's painful toil in the work that we do now. In other words, the blessing has now become cursed. And humans need to be saved. Or let me put it more bluntly, you need to be saved. I need to be saved. We all need to be put back rightly with our creator and with creation, which is why God then steps into this human story, and he steps in as a human, not as fire, not as a cloud, not as an angel, but as a human being. Why? To do what Adam was supposed to do to rule over earth, to, to put you back into the spot that God made for you. This is why Jesus came. Now jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go all the way to more of the end of your Bible. When we get to the New Testament, this is all the interaction of Jesus and his impact in our lives. When we get to the book of Ephesians, and here the Apostle Paul, he's describing and this, this whole issue of creation and fall and sin and the tension and the effect of our lives. And he talks about, in light of Jesus, then this interplay between salvation, God's working in our life, and work. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now stop right there, because this is, this is one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Because so many people, when it comes to God, think that it's all about me. Okay, i gotta, I got to get my life back in order. i gotta, I got to start being good. i gotta, I got to change. My morals have to, have to measure up. And so all of a sudden, we're having to do all this effort, all this work to try to make it feel like that we're in a right place with God. And here Paul says, no, 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 don't get this wrong, everybody. This is God's intervention, and he's given you a gift. You can never, ever, ever earn what God has. This is a gift from God. He, the salvation thing, and think salvation is a holistic world, salvation of your spirit, soul, body, the salvation even of creation. There's salvation that's entered. This is a gift. God's doing this gift. Just accept it freely then as, as a gift. But then look at verse 10. And he goes, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, look what the Apostle Paul is doing here in verse 10. Because what he's talking about, he's retelling the Genesis story. The word handiwork in the original Greek, Greek language that this was written in is the word poema, which is where we get our English word poetry. And what Paul's doing here is that he's clearly referring back in kind of a poetic sense to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where God created male and female. 
And he's saying that Jesus saved you, this gift that God brought through Jesus, Jesus saved you to put you back into right relationship with creator God so that then you could be put back to work, so that you could step back into this very first blessing that God had for mankind. And then he makes this stunning statement in verse 10. He says, for we are God's hand work, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what are good works? Let me give you a few definitions of this. Gary Brashear, who's the head of the theology department at Western Seminary, he says it this way. He says, work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create Shalom, that word shalom is the Hebrew word peace, well-being, health, prosperity. And so work is this expression of God's creative energy and service of others to create peace, well-being, health, prosperity. John Stott, um, who was an English Anglican priest and theologian and a noted um, leader of the evangelical movement, was the principal um, authors of the Lausanne Covenant in 1974, he said it this way. He said, work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Frederick Buchner, um, who's an ordained pastor and author of more than 30 published books, he, he says it this way. He says, work is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep needs. That's pretty good, right? And here's one more, Dorothy Sayers, who's a... He's, she's an English um, crime writer, playwright, essayist, and Christian writer. She says it this way. She says, work should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself, and that man, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well, a thing that is well worth doing. I love that. These are, these are really great kind of definitions of the, that whole phrase, good works. Now, it stands to reason, then, if there are good works, then there must also be not-so-good works, right? There's work that's flat-out evil. There's work that leads others into sin. There's work that doesn't bring the world back into the place that God intended. So there's, there's not-so-good work. But there is good work, and Apostle Paul actually says that, that God has prepared these good works in advance for you to do and to walk in, which means this week, God's already prepared some things for you. He's already prepared for things for you to walk in in order to fulfill this blessing that he has on your life. Now, the word that the theologians use to describe this kind of work is the word vocation. Everybody say vocation. vocation. I think this is the word that we need to recapture. Because there's a difference between occupation and vocation. Occupation is what you do to make a living. It's your job. And you may love your job or you may hate your job. That is your occupation. Vocation, on the other hand, may be your occupation or it may not be. Because a vocation is a calling from God. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means a call or summons. And so... Vocation can be described like this. Work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. That's what vocation, the essence of a vocation is, which is why it can be different than your occupation. It's work that fits you, helps others, 
and glorifies God. Now, let me break that down here for you. First, work that fits you. That means it makes sense, right? It fits you. It makes sense. You enjoy it. It fits your DNA. It fits your personality. It fits your gifts. It fits your talents and your experiences. I mean, there should be moments when you're working where you feel like, I'm really good at this. You should feel that way about your, about your vocation. I'm really good at this. Not in an arrogant or proud way, but just that you were made for this. You were created for this. That's what it means to fit you. Second, work that helps you, helps others. I'm sorry, work that helps others. And that means that it's work that creates a world where others can thrive. That's the essence of what it means, work that helps others. It's, it's work that's not just about you, but it's about helping other people's worlds and helping them thrive in that world. And I want you to notice how huge that umbrella is about work that helps others. Because you don't have to be a doctor, just a doctor to do this. We, I think we tend to think doctors do this, right? I mean, we may think it, that teachers do this or Supreme Court judges do this. But the umbrella is much larger than this, work that helps others. And so that, means, so that means if you're a barista, you can do this. I love my barista. I love getting coffee in the morning. It helps me thrive, right? It helps me. If you, if you're, if you, if you build houses, you do this. How many of you love to have a house? Hey, aren't, aren't you glad you have a house to live in? Aren't you so thankful you have air conditioning when it's 100 degrees out there? Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? It, it's made your life thrive, right? People who build houses make your life thrive. You, you, when you work on highways, aren't you glad we have roads that we can drive on? If you've ever been in any place else in the world, aren't you thankful for our road system? Aren't you thankful when you want to go on vacation somewhere and have fun that you can drive or fly? Think of all the infrastructure that's there to make it successful for you. You thrive because other people have worked hard so that you then can thrive. So there's a big umbrella for it. And then the third part of this, it's that work that glorifies God. It's work that glorifies God. We're going to spend more time talking about this in the weeks to come. But for starters, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Because for starters, it doesn't mean that if you're a dentist, that you have to etch John 3.16 into the feelings that you're putting in people's teeth. That's not what this means, a work that glorifies God. You, you understand? That's not what it means. But for starters, can kind of a short answer to this, it means you work to reshape the world in such a way that people see God's presence and his beauty. That's the essence of what this is. Because when the world functions as God intended it, whether it's through art or music or literature or architecture or technology, there's just this feeling, and I know you've felt this before, that the world is humming. It just works. It, it tastes good. It, it smells good. It looks amazing. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Don't you get frustrated when you walk into a room and it's stinking hot because the air conditioning's not working? There's a feeling when things are working that this is how it's supposed to be. It's, it's just working how God intended. And for people who have eyes to see, who gets the glory in those moments? God does. If you have the eyes to see, God is one who gets the glory in that moment. So vocation is work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. Now remember, your vocation and your job are not always the same. I mean, think about all the different seasons in your life, all the jobs that you've had. Some of those jobs have fit into vocation, so it's fit you, it's helped others, and it's glorified God. And other jobs that you've done, you wonder, this does not fit me whatsoever. You know, this might help you, but I, I hate this. 
I hate doing this, and I'm just doing this to get paid. And so therefore, you may not even be glorifying God in it. So there's different seasons where your occupation is not your vocation, but the hope and what you're trying to move towards and be able to step into is where your job is your vocation. That's where it's all coming together. That's where God really wants you to be. Now, the problem with using the word vocation and calling is that immediately, for some of you, you're already truncating what that means. You're already limiting what that means because you're thinking, well, God only calls people to spiritual things. I mean, God calls people to work at churches, but he doesn't call people to work at banks. God calls people to be pastors and missionaries to Africa, but he doesn't call people to be landscape architects. But here's the thing, and here's what I want to drive home very clearly inside of you, is the reality is that God does call people to all these different types of things. And for the vast majority of you, your calling is not in here. Your calling is outside of these four walls. 99% of you, your calling happens outside of these four walls, and your calling is to be salt and light in into that field that God has called you, into that classroom, into that boardroom, into that construction workplace. He's, his calling is to call you out there into, to bring his voice into that place, to bring his power into that room, to bring his working. You bring that into that place. Because remember, when we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul is describing about these good works that God has prepared in advance for you, notice that he says that those works are just limited to teaching the Bible and preaching the gospel and praying. Is that what he said? No, I, I'll help you out here. You can go back and read it. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that, that those are your good works. This is why it's so important for you to see your work as your calling from God. But if you're really going to step into that, everybody, if you're really going to start seeing your work as your calling from God, there's two lies that are going to have to be exposed to get this undone in you so you can, so you can really embrace it. And the first lie comes outside of the church. And this lie is that work is a means to an end. Work is a means to an end. I think lots of people tend to fall into this. In other words, you don't work to work. You work to make money so that you can pay the bills and so that then you can do what you really want to do. And so if you won the lottery today and you were given $10, $10 million, would you go back to work tomorrow? So many people say, absolutely not. <laughs> I have $10 million. Why in the world would I go back to work tomorrow? Well, if that is how you would answer this, then you're, you're, you've bought into this lie. You bought into this lie. You don't understand the theology of work. You think that work is, is the means to an end. You think that work is a way to make money. But listen, everybody, it's not true. Money is a byproduct of work. And I think this is where the American dream has kind of devolved over the years, where, where we have this thinking that I want to make as much money as quickly as I can so I can retire early and go live in Florida and play golf for the rest of my life. That's what the American dream is kind of pressurized, I think, for so many of us. And I know so many people who have worked the American dream successfully and worked hard and been able to retire early at 40 or 45. But you know what now? They're miserable. Why? Because the lie is we work to live. The truth is you live to work. This is how God created you. You were created by God to work. It's his actual blessing in your life. You were created in a way to help others thrive around you. The second lie actually comes from, what I think, within the church. 
And this is a lie of the sacred and the secular divide. The sacred-secular divide. And this is the idea slash myth that certain kinds of work is spiritual. Certain kinds of work matter to God. Certain kinds of work are important in eternity. And other kinds of work, they just, they don't. For example, what I'm doing here, teaching the Bible, it's spiritual and it really matters. But baristaing, well, that's secular. That doesn't matter. Building a house, that's secular. That, that doesn't matter. But listen, everybody, that's the lie. And this lie has been deeply embedded in our Western consciousness, actually even before Jesus' time, all the way back to Plato, where Plato divided the world between spiritual and unspiritual where everything is spiritual or unspiritual, and it's such a lie, it's flat out not true. For example, when you look at Scripture, there is not a word in the Hebrew language for spiritual in the the Hebrew culture. You go back to the Old Testament, so the Scripture that Jesus used to teach and to preach, there is is no Hebrew word for, for spiritual. It's not there. Why? Because to the Hebrews, all of life is spiritual, All of life matters. What happens here on Sunday matters. What happens tomorrow at your job matters. When you're mowing grass, it matters. The problem is, for most of us, is we tend to compartmentalize life. And so we put our spiritual life over here, and we put our work over here. We put our marriage over here. We put our money over here. We put our kids over here. We put our free time over here. We put our sexuality over here. We put our entertainment over here. But listen, it doesn't work that way. Life is holistic, if you, were, if you were to go up to Jesus and ask Jesus, how is your spiritual life? I think he would just look at you a little crazy. My, my what? It, it, does, it doesn't work. That phrase is never, ever used once in Scripture at any time. Now, how is the Spirit of God working in and through my life? Now, that's a question that we actually can talk about. Because listen, everybody, all your life matters. Every part of your life matters matters. And the problem that happens is when you see your spiritual life and your non-spiritual life, if if that's how you view the world, is that you end up ejecting God out of the vast majority of your life. That he's not a part of any of this. And listen, God wants to be a part of every minute of your life, every aspect of your life. And I've just seen this over and over and over really in the church culture where people have these incredible experiences with God, and all of a sudden they start coming alive, and their heart begins to really kind of, they just like, it's like they flower, and they come, they come alive, and they have this passion and life for God. And so they begin to think that what Jesus really wants, and if they were really going to follow Jesus effectively and appropriately, that they need to quit their job, and they need to go to seminary, and they need to become a pastor, and they need to work for a church, or at least work for a nonprofit because we all know that Jesus would never work for money, right? I mean, after all, his, his carpentry business was all pro bono, right? It's, it's, it's just not true. Listen, everybody, for 99% of you, your call is not to become a pastor, but to become a banker, to become a carpenter, become a teacher, to become a stay-at-home mom, to become a stay-at-home dad, become an architect, to, to become a builder, that's, that is, that's your career. Put your career into that. That's God's calling in your life. And listen, everybody, it all matters. That matters. So serve Jesus wholeheartedly there because all your life is spiritual. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please, because I want you to let just God kind of speak to you with what's ever going on in your life and how you are 
in this whole thing, this whole thing that we call work and this occupation, vocation, because maybe uh, as we've talked to this, maybe you realize that you've kind of fallen into this trap of thinking that work is a curse, and you're dreading going to work tomorrow. You know, there's just drudgery involved in this, or maybe you've fallen into the trap where work has become your God. It's just out of focus, and you're looking to it for meaning. You're looking to your job for satisfaction. You're looking to your job for identity. You're looking for, to your job for self-worth to validate your, your existence. It really is then where you are worshiping and making all these different sacrifices. Maybe you've fallen into that trap, and maybe God's putting his finger on that for you here today. Or maybe what he's, been putting his, what he's putting his finger on right now for you is that you're believing one of these lies. You've been walking in this lie that work is a means to an end. And you've been working to live instead of living to work, and you've just gotten this out of order here. Or maybe you've been believing the lie, the sacred secular divide, and you've been kind of compartmentalizing your life and not seeing your job as your calling, that God has actually called you to that, and that he's equipped you. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities, and there's actually an anointing from God on your life in that arena. But maybe you've just been kind of belittling that and not really serving Jesus there because you have this kind of sacred, secular divide lie that's going on in your heart. Would you just bring that before the Lord here, wherever that is, wherever that's landing on you? Maybe you're beginning to look at your job just a little bit differently. And you're wondering, is my job, is my occupation, my vocation? In this job that I'm doing, does it fit me? Am I helping others? Am I glorifying God? Is, it, is, it, is this my vocation? And maybe you're, you're, you're trying to figure all that type of thing out. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us. Well, you know, one, one third of our entire life, and as adults, it's one half of every part of our life is built, spent really in this job arena, in, our, in our, this work field. And so, Father, would you speak to each one of us? Father, as we start this journey of really trying to see how you see this, Father, that we would step into, into this with you. Father, that you would identify things, maybe things that are out of order, maybe things that we've, we've just kind of fallen into, but we really didn't realize it. Lord, that maybe, Lord, that we, we would step into this in an effective way. Lord, that we would be your, your, your hands and feet into each one of these arenas that you have called us to. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. See you next time.